Hello and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories Then and Now on Pioneer 90.1 KSRQ. We're available worldwide to the masses outside of the FM dial. You can check us out at RadioNorthland.org. Stream the audio right now or if you miss this episode for whatever reason on this uh, fine, fine weekend, you know, fall is a nice time of year, you can check out replays of this episode at our website, RadioNorthland.org. Go to the Wrestling Memories page. It will link you up to uh, our Radio Northland SoundCloud page and over six years of wrestling memories then and now interviews it's a wonderful wonderful thing and you can pick up uh, that app tune in for your smartphone oh take us everywhere you get yep. decent cell phone reception well i'm glenn Broggett, along with my man down there in the deep in the heart of texas sitting in his mobile studio uh i i guess uh, when it gets to be this time of year as we're, we're kind of heading into the fall months it, i i bet it gets a little bit better down there for you my grizzled veteran michael mccurdy down in the 70s, man. It gets down to the 70s in the fall. It's great. Right now it's about 85, so I'm not complaining. No. No, no 110, no 115. So. Yeah, we went through a summer, uh, and, and let's just say maybe a good chunk of the spring uh, when we've been doing these shows. Uh, we, we, we've, heard, we've heard you in some almost dire situations there. I was like, man, did you crack the window at least? I got all the windows down, man. We're good to go. Yeah, you know, we're, and like I told Kenny Bolin, I'm not on the side of the road on the interstate. So. Okay, so now you've gotten that established, uh, or maybe you're just throwing a swerve up my way. But anyway, it's good to have you here. Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Uh, Facebook page, check that out. Social media, we're starting to do our thing. The group page, the main page, it's all good in social media land, right, Mr. McCurdy? Oh, it's going great in social media. You know, we're at about 1,000 followers, both pages, Twitter and Instagram are, are uh, about to start. They're coming up a little bit. Got a few followers there blog page going live soon another way for people to uh get their wrestling memories from us so you know we're, we're going into the social media world man so you know absolutely way to to take the show on to the next level and my friend you have done some you know we've been kind of going back and forth with some pretty fun guests here on wrestling memories the last few weeks uh just you booking some two i'm booking two and now it, it falls on this week and it looks like you have my friend have booked uh a, oh man i was a fan of this gentleman when he was in the World Wrestling Federation, WWE. Uh, I also remember him back at the uh, the last days of ECW, back before uh, Heyman uh, basically shut the doors on that. I always thought he had some great promise. Always loved the white boy challenge. Man, you have got my, one of my favorites today, Mr. McCurdy. You know, man, I've always been a fan as well. Like you said, ECW, WWE. And I've actually had a chance to work a few shows with this gentleman. So, I mean, you know, great guy i'm looking forward to this interview so glenn why don't you go ahead man let's make the introduction and let's get this interview going let me tell you something it's been a while since we heard somebody say hey everybody why don't we back the mac i want to talk about this as a man who brought thuggin and buggin productions uh, some great fame and uh, also great acclaim he's a tough guy he's nobody's fool he is uh, Mr. Rodney Mack, the red dog, the big dog. He's just the main event, and he's here today on Wrestling Memories. How are you doing today, uh, Mr. Rodney Mack? Good, good, and uh, thank you guys for having me, man. Uh, it, it's been a while. Mike, it's good to, it's good to, to, to hear from you, man, and uh, it, it's always a pleasure. Oh, absolutely. It's wonderful good to have you on. Well, we got a lot to talk about here. Uh, again, uh, Mike, uh, 
was so so gracious and, and you were so gracious to uh, take his request and be on the program today. Lots of, of, of great uh, career highlights we can go through, but I want to talk a little bit of, of, about Mike, how you, you, you kind of got uh, and found Rodney, I mean, down in, the, down in the independence down there in the southern part of the United States, because you've had a chance to actually see him in person and, and, and meet the man, watch the man do his thing. Not only have I had the chance to see this man work in the ring, I also got knocked on my butt uh, during a show one time by this man. I will tell you, you learn when you get knocked on your butt by the Red Dog. (laughs) (laughs) Is this another one of them beatdown challenges, or was this one of them spontaneous challenges? This was me not listening when he told me to put the camera down is what this was. So <laughs> So you so you basically this was not Mr. Mr. Max's fault. He was merely trying to get you to kindly get rid of that camera, get out of the way and Mr. Grizzle veteran Mike McCurdy, I don't know. I don't know. You're my partner and all, but you can't be doing that to Rodney Mac. Well, you know every once in a while I cross the line a little bit. Got to do what you got to do to get the uh get the scoop from the talent. So, not kind of what that case was, but you know, right, I mean, really I mean, trying to get a better angle with the camera. <laughs> there we go, better angle with the camera. I believe that angle was Next straight up. up when I was lying on my backside. But. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're, we're going to get into uh, talking about uh, some of the stuff you're up to uh, these days. But, of course, uh, with wrestling Memories, we love to share, and wrestling Memories then and now, we love to share the old memories. We want to really get in to know you, Rodney Mack, and, and, and reacquaint some some of the people who may remember you, uh, whether it would be uh, in the WWE or working for ECW or just following through the independents, as well as uh, your wife, uh, Jazz, who is a double-tough customer herself in the pro wrestling ring. Uh, I want to talk about wrestling for you. Was it something growing up that you, you, could, you gravitated towards? Did you watch wrestling when you were a kid? What were some of the things that, that, uh, that, that led you to pro wrestling? Did it, like I said, did it start when you were younger? Just, just tell us about your pro wrestling journey. Oh, uh, yes. Um, most definitely it was something I always uh, just knew that, you know, it was one of those things I just knew that sometime point in life that I was going to be a professional wrestler. As far as I can uh, remember back, I remember sitting up watching wrestling with my, with my father. You know, it, it was a family thing uh, growing up in Southern Louisiana, Lafayette to be exact. Uh, we would sit down and watch, uh, you know, the Mid-South at the time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I can remember, uh, you know, as far as three, as far back as I was three or four years old, sitting up watching, uh, wrestling with my, with my father on Saturday morning. And, uh, I, I tell the story all the time when I talk about this, um, my, my brother is four years younger than I am. And, uh, I was, so of course I was four years old and, uh, I remember my mother going into labor and we dropped her off to the hospital to have my brother while we went uh, and attended to watch a match with Andre the Giant uh, versus <laughs> two, uh, I don't know, it was a handicap match at a, uh, uh, a local football stadium. Well, it was Andre, Andre, the, Andre the freaking Giant. I know a uh, sibling can wait. I mean, th- this is back in the day when, when you had Andre traveling yeah, in. Thing. He, he didn't wait, but needless to say, I tried. 
<laughs> you put your best but the effort was put in at least but getting yeah. to see getting to see those wrestlers though i mean but, but you know the guys that you watched on the tv i mean it, it blew my mind the first time i got to go see a live event when i was a kid because it was just everything seemed so larger than life and, and, and especially in your case you lived down in such a hot area uh with mid-south down in louisiana and in the states surrounding i mean you had great television you had i mean pro wrestling in those days was just such a wonderful thing too in the territories because you did get guys to come in and out of the territories like guest appearances or short runs so you I mean having a hot bit of wrestling like that too like bill watts mid-south i mean geez talk about being in wrestling heaven i'm up here in awa country but man i envy your mid-south experiences right right and uh and that's the other you know as well we, we grew up watching nwa as well that was the other the other you know um wrestling program we watched yeah uh so I, I was always, man, um, you know, just a big fan of pro wrestling, and it was it was part of our culture in Louisiana. You know, it was just it was just you know you wanted to play football or you, or you wanted to be a professional wrestler, and uh, so you know it was it's always been uh, there for me. The fire was easy; it was easy for me to keep the fire lit. You know, uh, it was always around me, and um, like I said, I just had a great upbringing. Uh, in those years, in those days of, uh, you know, watching professional wrestling. And, and also I'm blessed that my father was all, always there with me and uh, took me to, you know, every show that, that we could find. Mm-hmm. In my case, I, I my dad was he was working, but it was my mom and my grandma, and I had a grandma always claimed that she was never watching it. But every once in a while, when we used to watch it at home, you would see her moving and squirming and saying yelling and cursing. All of a sudden, I'm like, Grandma, I thought you weren't watching this. I thought this was just something you put your thumb, your nose at too. But the, you know, th- that's also part of that pro wrestling experience too, with you know having those memories, whether it would be with with a parent or a grandparent. Right, right, sure. Yeah. You know, and, and, and talking about uh, Mid-South, and you want to talk about how big pro wrestling was uh, in, in the state of Louisiana, one of the real driving forces uh, in, in, in Mid-South for a greater, better part of the late, latter, later part of the 1970s and into the um, early to mid-80s was uh, the phenomenon of the junkyard dog. I mean, people nowadays wouldn't believe it, but you had to ask some people who lived in the times just how big and how important junkyard dog was uh, in in in, the, in that part of the country. I mean, junkyard dog, JYD, was probably at sometimes even bigger than the football team, the Saints, but then at, at that time, the Saints weren't exactly putting out winning seasons, but you had, you, you get me on that when, I, when, when I'm saying that junkyard dog was just such a big, all-encompassing uh, phenomenon uh, for a time down there. Right, right. He was and, and, and still is to this day. If if you mention wrestling, people young and old, and, and, and it's, it's, it's crazy, but I don't know how young kids, you know, would know who Junkyard Dog is, but they still do, I guess, because so, you know, of the Internet or whatnot. But he still, his name is still alive today. And, uh, yeah, he, he was something, I mean, of course, I had to, I had the honor and the privilege of, of him being my uncle and being trained by, by JYD. Um, but, you know, uh, I hate saying it from this point of view, but everyone felt the same way about it. You know, I mean, he was just, uh, you, you, you can't find anyone who say anything bad about it. I mean, he was just, just, just a great guy, mm-hmm. not to mention his talent. 
and you had an opportunity to uh, before he passed away to to get some sort of training with him. Is that what from what I've read, or is that an incorrect? Uh, tell us what your connection was with in regards to getting yourself trained up uh, for pro wrestling. Was Junkyard a part of that? Because I've been hearing things. I just wanted to get it from you. Right. Well, he was more than a part. Yeah, he was the start of that. You know, right? Dog uh, was the guy that 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 actually started training and broke me into you know introduced us me into the business. And uh, that is also where I met Jazz, and uh, and from there, you know, shortly, uh, well, with uh, after training with Dolph for a short period of time, uh, that instant, you know, of course, his death was with the tragic, the the the, the wreck and, and whatnot, and then after that, I picked up with Rod Price, and and then continued, uh, Jazz and I both uh, went with Rod Price and continued training with him, but JYD is is the one that that broke us in and uh. Yeah, we were we were on the road together traveling. What were some of the things that you picked up from from him, as far as uh, not only just the training, but just you said you traveled with you him know, to events and, and stuff? What did you learn with from 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 JYD? Because there's a lot of things you can glean by just getting in a car ride with somebody, or just picking up little nuances aside from the training that you did receive. Right, of course, the car rides. Yeah, you know, it's always business. Uh, that's one thing we learned. Not to mention uh, in the ring, but we learned more about the business itself and how to uh, handle ourselves, conduct ourselves, and make money in the in, in the business. That's uh, dog talk to us, and, and and that's what he really uh, emphasized more on towards us. He always told me and uh, Jazz that well, you know, especially me because of my wrestling background which would really annoy me because I was so lost at the time. <laughs> and he would go, uh, he, Ronnie, he, he already know how to wrestle. You know, and I'd be like, man, he, what are you talking about? You know, I'm, a, I'm an amateur wrestler. But anyway, he would always poke fun about me. You know, uh, his, his training with me wasn't that much physical. It was more mental. And uh, vice versa with Rod Price. Rod Price was more hands-on with me in the ring and showed me the, uh, the physical aspect of it. But, uh, yeah, Dog was, uh, he was quite a treat, man. And, uh, once again, how he handled himself and conducted business, uh, in public, just, I mean, just not, not wrestling business, just, you know, the way he conducted himself in general. He was, uh, he, he was, he was all that, man. Mm-hmm. And it was just a terrible, terrible, unfortunate uh, incident that we lost him twenty or so years ago. Now it's been, uh, it was just yeah. just the contribution that he he put in pro wrestling, and, and I mean he had his fame to a degree in the WWF, but it was never quite the same as when he was running down in Mid South. As far as just the the way he could grab the fan, I mean he was popular in the WWF. Don't get me wrong, but it just wasn't that same sort of organic feeling that he developed down there uh, in in Louisiana in the Mid South territory. Right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. He was a little bit past his, uh, I guess, his prime then, or whatnot. But uh, again, he had, you know, he had. Well, I don't know. It's hard to say. I want, I want to also yeah. talk about, uh, you know, your, your training now with, with Rod Price and, and Rod's getting you prepared. What was, uh, what was going through your mind? Can you remember those, those first couple of matches you had? Now you, you, you've been uh, tailored uh, in different ways of training by, by, by Junkyard Dog and now, now with Rod Price. What can you remember of uh, getting ready to get into the ring and those first few matches? Just what was that feeling like to finally be able to put all of this stuff that you've learned to try to put it, to apply it and kind of learn things as you go? Well... With that being said, um, I 
my training was not that extensive. In other words, I didn't really train that long before I was kind of, thrown, excuse me, thrown into the pot. Um, so Rod, of course, thought I was prepared because he would have never put me, excuse me, in those situations um, because he was too much of a professional to do that. But uh, it was very nerve-wracking. It was, you know, I was very, you know, I mean, it it is hard to explain because uh, I'm the type of person that I try to be a perfectionist. So I never think that I'm really, you know, completely ready or, or over-prepared or, you know, I'm not that type of guy. I always, uh, you know, try to be an overachiever and work harder than the next guy. So it was very hard for me to believe that I was actually ready to have a match, you know, and whether I was or not, he was pretty, he was pretty damn good at convincing me. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, it was, it was very nerve wracking because I, I, again, Rod came, comes from the, uh, you know, the Texas background with, with, with the guys from world class. And, uh, you know, so when, when I got with Rod and, and, and we come up here, uh, the, down here to Texas, I was facing guys like Terry Gordy, who was still, you know, in the game, or, or Sam Houston, or, you know, of course, Sam was up there in Louisiana as well. But Iceman, King Parsons, Action Jackson, Brian Adidas was still there. And you guys know, I mean, uh, it was like, kind of over the top for me, you know, but, um, of course, you know, once again, I mean, it was a, it was a great challenge and, uh, I was, I'm very blessed that I was in that situation, kind of threw it into the fan. So when's that uh, feeling, when do you get that feeling like that, you know, you can, you can kind of hang with these guys after you start kind of getting yourself going, getting those calluses built up, learning the knowledge of the ring. But when did you start to feel more comfortable? Uh, and I mean, you're never completely comfortable. You always got to have a little bit of excitement, but when did you feel like you were a little more at home in the ring? To be honest with you, it didn't take me long at all. And I, I, I want to make that clear. I'm by any means not bragging or boasting or think that I'm good by any means. Uh, I was just pretty much a natural at, at the psychology and just getting it. Because once again, I tell you, I, not only did I train with those guys, but I wrestled throughout my whole entire life from, I guess, the time I was six years old to, I guess, I was about 26 when I started actually pro wrestling. But uh, So I, I knew how to wrestle, but it just, uh, I guess, I, I, Rod used to always tell me that I had I had it, the, the it factor as far as for ring presence, uh, even being a ring general and not even knowing what a ring general was, you know, ring awareness, kind of, you know, those things. Of course, I wasn't just great at it, but you could see good, I mean, signs and traces of that. And also having the talent and ability to to sell. I kept, you know, they, they would tell me that I was a great seller and I had no idea what the hell they were talking about. But I, I just went with the flow, you know. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so it, it didn't take me that long. And at the same time, I understood that I was in the ring with the guys I told you, with Iceman and guys uh, like Terry Gordy and all those great guys. So, of course, they carried my, you know, me to a certain extent. So, uh, you know, so once again, I was blessed to be in the ring with those guys. And then the whole time, I, I don't know if I could actually remember or give you a recap of those matches because I was so starstruck. You know, here it is. I went from watching these guys and wanting to be one of these guys to shit on the same card with these guys. 
And I'm like mesmerized in the locker room. You know, you look here and here's Agbar and you got one man gang and Kamala. And then on over here, you got Terry Gordon. You got, man, you know, Michael Hayes. And I was like, geez. So, what was that what was it like for you to approach these gentlemen? I mean, not only you're working in the right. ring, but you get to kind of establish some sort of rapport in the locker room. What was that like uh, for you? I mean, to kind of like make that transition, man, from being that fan to like, holy crap, it's centralized man Parsons. It was really easy for me because uh, I was taught that you sit down and shut the hell up. That's not what the words they told me, but you, when you walk in the locker room, you sit down, you know where you go, you tell everyone hello, you shake hands and sit down and shut the hell up and speak when spoken to. So that was really, you know, half of the times when, when, you so, when, when you're green, you walk around and say hello and shake hands, and they, they're holding the conversation anyway, and they didn't even pay attention to me. So, you know, <laughs> so it was really easy. I just go sit down and shut the hell up and then, you know, watch. Oh, right on. Uh, this is Wrestling Memories Then and Now. I'm Glenn Broggett along with the grizzled veteran Michael McCurdy with our special guest, Mr. Rodney Mack. And I'm going to bring uh, Mr. McCurdy into the conversation here so he can uh, fire off a few more questions for you, Rodney. Uh, Mike, you ready to roll, my friend? I'm always ready to roll, man. <laughs> um, you know what, Rodney? That, that list of just men you got a chance to work in the ring with is absolutely amazing. I mean, those names are so legendary here in Texas. In fact, as we're recording this right now, my seven-year-old son is sitting in front of the TV watching Terry Von Erich versus Ric Flair from 1982, which was the start of, uh, we all know, the Von Erich Freebird feud. So, you know, I'm making sure yeah, I raise the boy up right. Yeah, there you go, man. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but one thing I want to get into, Rodney, um, you also got a chance to, you know, after, you know, cutting your teeth, getting your debut in and going around the locker room, you got a chance to go to ECW. ECW at that time, last couple of years run, you were part of the Baldies, which, but ECW was the promotion at that time. That was, it was an independent, but it wasn't an independent. ECW was, right. we all know, legendary. Everybody remembers ECW. Can we talk a little bit just about that, about the environment, about working with Paul Heyman and just getting to be a part of Extreme Championship Wrestling? Oh, yeah, that was a whole different uh, horse to ride right there, my friend. That was a whole different thing. Uh, it was, at first, it was a culture shock moving up to Philly, uh, well, moving up to New York, um, and uh, just being around that atmosphere and uh, the, the boys and, and the style of wrestling was just totally, you know, as we know, it was just out there. Uh, and, and, and as far as for training wise or rules or whatnot, it's like everything that you learn was thrown out the window at NCW. And I don't mean that in a bad way. You know, it was just a style of its own. Um, it, it, it was it, it was hard for me, man, because I I had it uh I had it rough coming up. You know, uh, uh, and, and it was no secret. I mean, I've you know it's been a long time. It's no secret at all. Everyone I felt not everyone, but the majority of those guys hated on me for whatever reason it was, uh, you know, and that's my version. Of course, you like them, and they were, oh, no, Rodney was a great guy, this, that, yeah, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, bottom line is it took me a year and a half or something like that, or a year, to get a tryout when, they, when every other time Dick and Harry could have just pulled up there with their, with their bag and then knock on the door and get a tryout. Now, why, I have no idea, but, you know, whatever. 
But yeah, it, it, it was it was real tough for me. I had to work hard. Listen, you know, I'm not whining or or, or or bitching or anything. I'm just keeping it real. You know, it was a lot harder on me than it was on, on, on they were harder on me than it was on anybody else. And uh, I, I thank them for that because I, I invite that. I, I I love that kind of stuff. You know, and, and I remember calling my dad and uh, he asked me how was things going. And I was real pissed off that night. And I, I just remember telling him that no matter how, how hard they tried, <clears throat> that they couldn't beat me. But, uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was a difficult time uh, for more reasons than one. Like I said, I don't know, man, what it was. It was personal issues uh, that they had against me. But when I finally did break the mold and get a chance to wrestle there, Things skyrocketed for me, and uh, matter of fact, I don't mind telling you how I got a break because of a there was a pay per view in LA, and Jazz asked me to fly up there with her, and uh, you know just to come accompany her. So I did. And uh, long story short, there was a fight that broke out, and I was one of the guys that went out there, and uh, I was one of the first guys to run out there, along with Jack Victory's crippled self, and we hobbled out there. And, started mixing it up in the parking lot. And uh, why well, I say that to say this, I'm a guy, I'm, I'm one of the first guys that went up to bat and fight for ECW, and I had not, you know, ever received a tryout or anything. But I was just that kind of a team player. So anyway, I went out there and knocked out about five or six guys, and on the way back in, Pauline stops me and hugs me, and, you know, he and I became, like, best friends there, and he told me that, uh, from, he would never forget what I did for him and stepped up for the comp the way I stepped up for the company. And, uh, you know, from then on uh, on out, it's kind of how it started for me. So I started getting a few matches here and there, and uh, I went from, of course, opening up the card to uh, being pretty high on the card, like, real fast. You know, things were going really good for me. And, um, of course, we know the end. Paulie ended up selling the company and whatnot, but... Right before then, uh, I had started really feeling myself and finding myself and was uh, was on a pretty good road. Now, what was it like working for uh, just Paul Heyman, just the man himself? Because, you know, considered to be one of the, probably one of the best wrestling minds out there, still going strong now, you know, as the advocate with Brock Lesnar. But what was it like working with uh, Paul Heyman? Oh, it was, it was uh, man, great experience. Uh, he, I love Paul and... Paul and I have, and Jazz have a great relationship. Uh, he is a genius, and he is, man, I, I, I don't know. I, I can go on and on, and it all be good about him in this business and just working alongside of him. He's a mastermind. He's brilliant. He's two steps ahead of you, and he knows you, meaning his talent. He knows you inside and out. He knows how you walk, how you talk, and how you think. I mean, he's a... Uh, He's all that, man, and I'm, I'm very blessed to have been, you know, around a guy like that and been tutored and, and taken under the wing by someone, you know, of that caliber. Now, what was it like towards the end there? Because as you said, you were there the last couple of years of ECW. Um, what was the environment like as it got towards the end? Because we've all heard the stories about, you know, guys weren't getting paid, bills weren't getting paid. Uh, I believe Paul was already working with WWE, but nobody knew it at the time. What was the environment like with ECW uh, towards the end? Well, you know, it was. It went from being real fun to, you know, we all knew that, uh, 
you know, the end was coming because, I mean, a lot of people, well, it started off with the checks bouncing and, you know, people losing, uh, you know, a lot, losing everything, their homes, and, uh, you know, and it just dwindled from down there. The morale was, was, was gone, and guys started getting signed left and right. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the young guys, and that's one thing I can see uh, always about ECW, the young guns always were hungry, and they would always pull the load, you know, so it didn't matter who was on that roster or who you saw coming down that aisle, you were, you were going to get your money's worth, and you were going to get an ECW product. So, uh, you know, we did lose a lot of the, the, the big talent, but the guys that did walk down that, that ramp, they, uh, they gave it their all, man. So, you know, it, it was a great experience to, to, even though it was, you know, that, that was bad, it was, it, was, it was a good thing to have went through such an, uh, a rough time with, with, with our brothers and, and, and still survive, you know, so to speak, because uh, going through something like that made a bunch of us, those that stayed tougher and uh, understand, you know, that's part of the business. Now, um, her name's come up a couple times already in this interview, and um, at one point she was actually scheduled to kind of be a part of this, and hopefully we'll get to talk to her sometime down the road. But uh, can you tell us a little bit about your, your relationship with Jazz? How did you guys meet, and what's it like kind of getting to work? You know, well, you eventually got married. You work with your wife. You guys are still wrestling. So, you know, how did you meet Jazz, and just how was that working as with the – you know, the marriage and all that is part in the wrestling world. Cause sometimes wrestling can be tough on something like that. Right, right. Well, well me and um, I, I, Jazz and I met through training with uh, JYD. Um, uh, and um, like, yeah, I met her through dog. Uh, actually, I was, um, I'd come off of work late at night, and it'd be about 10 o'clock at night when i get off of work. And then uh, I go knock at JYD's apartment. Was Jazz? Jazz was rooming with Dog at the time, and she had a job. Uh, I forget at some little restaurant throughout the day. But I would go, you know, at about ten o'clock at night and knock on Dog's door just to sit down and talk wrestling. But um, also, he had the key to a gym, so I would go and get the key and go and work out. So Dog told me one that morning. He was like, uh, "He just told me I'd like for you to meet." This, this this girl Jazz would come down from Memphis uh, the train. So we did Jazz and I hooked up and went to the gym. And uh, like I said, I'd come back at night and, and get her at 10 o'clock at night. She'd be in bed sleeping. And uh, I'd come and knock and, you know, uh, I'd be like, oh, I guess I missed her. And JYD would be like, oh, no, Red Dog, don't you go nowhere. And he'd go, J-Dog, get up. He used to call Jazz J-Dog. And he'd go and shake her up in the bed, you know, and wake her up. And Jazz had probably just got in the bed about a good hour or so, but we get her up and we go to the gym and work out for about two hours and come on back in. So it, it was uh, that. That's what that's what kind of I was attracted first to Jazz as a as as a friend and a teammate because understand I just got out of playing college football and I was a gung ho and you know all American nose. So I, I was crazy and uh, <laughs> I was all about getting you know about handling business and practice. So anyway, I never, all throughout football in high school and, and whatnot in college, I've never really had a partner that would stick with me to, for too long in a workout because I work out all day. But Jazz was one of the only ones that would continue to come back 
after we worked out because we train on the on the weights for about an hour and a half, and then we roll in the ring and do about another hour, hour and a half. So it's about two o'clock in the morning before we actually leave the gym, and she never missed a day. And uh, we we did get a chance to train with the rest of the guys. She would, you know, I'd show the guy. Like, I, I teach her some wrestling, uh, Greco-Roman wrestling stuff, because it would only be her and I late that night in the gym, and then we'd come that Saturday or Sunday to train with the rest of the guys, and she would eat everybody up. And I was like, oh, my God, you know. So that's what kind of attracted me to her. She was, she had a, nat- she had a, she was a natural for learning Greco-Roman wrestling. I remember, you know, at those times, like I said, it was only her and I in the gym, so I didn't know anything else to, t- I didn't know anything else to teach her but what I knew, and that was Greco-Roman wrestling. So, and I remember when I saw her catching on that fast, I told her, I sat there in the, in the ring and said, I'm telling you, you would be one of the best that I, you know, I, I, I said these words, you would be the greatest woman wrestler of all time. And she laughed at me, of course. And she was like, man, you, you're crazy, you're tripping. I'm like, I've never seen a woman long as I've been living in, 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 in the research I have done to do Greco-Roman wrestling in the ring. I've never seen that. And if you'd have seen Jazz practice and train and the athlete she was, you'd understand where I was coming from. But she was a natural and she had a knack for this. But anyway, needless to say, she was eating up all the guys that was coming up through practice. And uh, it didn't take her long at all. But that's what attracted me to her and how we got hooked up because um, after about a month or so, Jazz and I were the only ones to graduate the school or to finish, I don't say graduate, to finish the school and go on, you know, to start wrestling. All right, I'm going to pass the microphone over to Glenn. Uh, Glenn, I'm sure you got a couple more questions for our guest tonight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'll get back to, into this conversation with Rodney Mack on Wrestling Memories Then and Now. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, now we, we, we've already gotten to the point where ECW is shut down. Uh, now, of course, uh, you know, that was just a big, I don't know, is this one of many shots fired in, in that next couple of months uh, with, with ECW shutting down and WCW shutting down. Uh, what did you feel like, uh, you know, and, and for you to know that these, these companies were, have started to shut down or were start showing signs of fading away, uh, and how did you get yourself uh, involved in what was, in, you know, eventually into the WWE uh, with the OVW promotion? Uh, just talk about those uh, days after ECW closed, what you, you and Jazz were looking for options-wise. Right. Well, uh, you know, um, I think afterwards uh, we, we stayed in touch with Paulie, and Paulie had a, a, a little bit to do with that. I said a lot to do with that was helping us. Up. Of course, we helped ourselves by staying, you know, doing the things that we needed to do by continuing to work and, uh, you know, do research and whatnot and send in film. And, uh, and, and that's where it was. We sent in film, and also at the time, we had guys like Paulie there and who, who, who spoke up for us. So, um, you know, that's that's basically how that, that went. And then, uh, of course, Jazz got the got the call, and she went to OVW first. And, uh, you know, I was still doing the independent thing, and I was still completely happy and, and just, you know, just loving wrestling, of course. She called me and wanted me to go up there, and I, I, I turned her down a couple of times. I, I didn't really want to go because I was working and doing real well where I was. I was satisfied. But anyway, she got me to go up to OVW, and, uh, 
you know, man, I got, got to meet with Jim Cornette and Danny Davis, and um, they gave me a look. Uh, once it took me about, I guess, five, six weeks or so before I started working. Uh, I got a little shy, I would not, because it was, I think at the time, yeah, it was toward the holidays, and they were wrapping up the hangers. But, uh, yeah, I got, I got a chance to, uh, you know, sit down and talk to Jim Cornette and uh, Danny Davis and a few other guys that were there. I think Dr. Tom Pritchett. And, uh, you know, they gave me a shot and, um, you know, one thing led to another. And, but that, that was another great experience working with those guys, with uh, Jim Cornette and uh, Danny Davis and, and that group. You're finding the uh, right woods and the right learning trees to sit under in your career as far as, I mean, you had the talent and the goods, but you had s- such good luck and good fortune to be able to sit under the tree of guys like Jim Cornette and, and Nightmare Danny Davis and, and guys uh, who have co- who have come in during the, your run at OVW, whether it's a trainer or somebody to help you with your mic skills, just little things like that to kind of help you get on your way. That's right, man. That, may, that means everything, you know, when you're learning. When you have guys like that surrounding you, I mean, how can't you get better, you know? It's, it's almost impossible. Now, but, you, uh, you were able yeah, to team I up with... Oh, I'm sorry. You were able to team up with Shelton Benjamin. I was just going to mention and then another guy with amazing talent who came from the amateur wrestling world. Uh, what was it like to uh, team up with, with a guy like Shelton who he kind of reminded me I'm a little bit like Kurt Angle and maybe to a degree with the way you got kind of were a fish out, like a fish to water as far as learning and picking up the pro wrestling. I mean, especially making that transition from being a, a, a champion college uh, amateur like Shelton was. Right. Right. Well, you know, I want to say this. I've been around a lot of, not good, but I want to say great athletes in my in my time before I met Shelton. And uh, I mean, guys from the NFL, that's in the NBA, from, you know, uh, from the track and field. I mean, top-notch guy. But Shelton would always stick out in my mind as probably one of, you know, one of the greatest athletes I had ever had the privilege of meeting and and, 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 and and being a part of. I can't say enough good things about him. He's a great guy, but more I mean he's a he's a superhuman being, nicest guy in the world, uh and, and, and his talent is is, is is second, you know, only to that. Now, when did you uh, get called up uh, to work some matches uh, up to the big show? And did you feel kind of, I don't know, is there just a part of you that, you know, wishes that you could have had, you and Shelton would have been called up to the main roster as as the tag team that you guys had done so much work in in the OVW? But just talk about getting called up and and some of your feelings going in to up up to the big show. Basically, you went through your finishing school here in OVW. Now you're up into the WWF, WWE. Right. No, it, it didn't really, you know, sure that would have been great because uh, all, all the guys that, that worked together in OVW, we had a we, we had a bond, you know, we were family, we had camaraderie, and, you know, it was there, we were all brothers, and sure, working as his tag team partner, we were just a little extra, you know, special, but it, it, it didn't hurt my feelings because we were all, we were all always behind each other and always wanted to see each other succeed. So when one guy caught called up, you know, we were happy for him. And uh, now, uh, you know, again, when I got called up, I was lucky again, fortunate because because of my situation. I mean, uh, yeah, because of the spot I was thrown in. I I was told that I'd be working with Paulie, and Paulie did help, you know, once again, groom me um, before, before I even hit TV when I was doing the house shows. 
he, you know, I worked, had a chance to work with Jazz some, but he would, Paul Lee would, would, would set up a TV, little, 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 little spots in the back, you know, where we would shoot promos and practice and work on stuff, even though we didn't have nothing to do that night. He found stuff for me to do. And I was one of the only guys, well, I was the only guy that he did that with, mm-hmm. me and Jazz. Um, so I, I was real lucky, you know, but, um, to, 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 to have that opportunity. But it, it happened kind of fast for me. You know, I think they kind of had something in the making for me already. But I, I did a few house shows, and then uh, I got put in the position uh, with John Cena. You know, Cena and I, that's, that's another thing. I should be Cena and I tagged uh, before that, you know, when I was on SmackDown when I first came there. And uh, Cena and OVW, Cena and I worked against each other, like, just about every night. And then it was ironic, you know, we, when we got the WWE, they tagged us together. But we, we hit off, I mean, we hit off really well. We, 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 uh, I had a great time with him. Uh, we, we worked against the Guerreros, against the Charlie Hoff and uh, Sheldon and uh, Kurt Angle in, uh, you know, in, in, in them, them days. So, uh, man, it, it, it was awesome. I, I had a great time with those guys and learned so much, you know, with Benoit and, uh, and Guerrero and those guys, uh, Eddie. Um, so man, I, I, I don't know. It, it, it was just, it was awesome. And then again, uh, after that transition, uh, I got called up, called in to, to do, uh, the, the deal with Teddy Long. Mm-hmm. And that's when the Red Dog became Rodney Mack, because for uh, leading up to this, you right. were you were your your old handle of Red Dog, and yeah, you you moved in. Uh, you went from working alongside John Cena in the early days of the Doctor of the Thugonomics gimmick to uh, to working with Teddy Long on Monday Night Raw, uh, the Thuggin' and Buggin' Enterprises. I think that's what it, I can remember it. I I enjoyed. Teddy Long, when Teddy Long was a heel, and I really liked some of the work that you, you did with him. Uh, what was it like uh, to, to work with Teddy Long? I mean, this is a guy that has just boundless energy, and a guy that I can remember back into 1985, 1984, when I used to watch Superstation Wrestling, he used to be at the TV studio, whether it was uh, grabbing jackets or becoming a referee. So this was a guy, that, uh, another hardworking guy, that, that finally he earned every bit of his time on, on the camera side of things for the WWF and the NWA. That's right, but you just said it all, man. That just described it. It was, I mean, it was so great with him because he was what a, a, a manager is supposed to do. Uh, he, he's the he's the epitome of what a manager is. I mean, it, I had to do nothing but show up, work, just just handle myself, go to the gym, work out, and and, and show up to wrestle. Teddy took care of everything for me. He handled everything on the road that was to, that was to handle. And like you say, he was a bundle of energy, always a joy to be around. And I learned so much from him, you know, from his stories on the road, which I probably couldn't tell you one of them because he had me laughing so much. He's such a character. He's a good guy. But, uh, you know, he told me so much about the ring, in the ring, outside the ring, how to handle myself. And, you know, he's just an all-around great guy. And he had a chance to work with so many greats in the business, you know, so um, I was just blessed, man. I'm always feel that way. I, I'm I'm blessed, you know, because of the road that I've traveled uh, in the business. I've been a, I've, I've been uh, very fortunate to be around guys like that. 
And you also, during that run with Teddy, uh, you ended up working and tagging with a guy whose uh, pro wrestling career was unfortunately cut short due to uh, the multiple concussions that he had. And this was a guy that ended up, after leaving professional wrestling, to become a big major advocate and uh, in, uh, talking about sports concussions of any kind. And, uh, of course, and there's been a lot of connections in the last few years with CTE. And he's one of the voices that kind of brought that to the forefront as well, uh, just by advocating. I'm talking about... Christopher Nowinski. Now, what do you remember working with Chris? Because this is a guy that had he had some pretty good mic skills, you know. But the only thing that held him back was was the injuries. Uh, this was a guy that that really had had a good head on his shoulders. But just you know, circumstances be what they may, had a short career. But what do you remember uh, with working with Chris? Man, uh, well, he's another you know can't say nothing bad about Chris. He's a great guy, man. Uh, you know, on the road with Chris, he always tried to take care of us. Was a funny guy. Always had jokes, and it was. Was a good guy. Uh, I'm actually the, the the one that that kind of spilled the beans on him. I saw him leaning up against the wall in, in the hallway one day, and he was looking. You know, we always teased him, but he, that about being white, he was really white. But that day, he was really, really white. He was pale, pale, pale. And I looked at him. And I, you know, I was like, "Chris, you all right?" And he was like, "No, man, I'll be fine. My head's just hurting." And I, I told him, I was like, "Dude, you look really bad." And uh, so I went and, and, and told the trainers on him and, and had them check him out. And uh, but but uh, man, he, he was a, he was yeah, he was real smart, very intelligent guy. And he was catching on real fast. Uh, it was very unfortunate, you know, for him that it, it had to end that fast. Yeah, but, uh, with those he head injuries. Very, yeah, he was special. I want to talk also, uh, his replacement, uh, you ended up uh, tagging up with Mark Henry, the world's uh, strongest man who had just uh, recently here uh, got nominated into the uh, WWE Hall of Fame. Uh, Mark Henry, of course, just uh, a beast of a man. What was it like to, to work with Mark? Uh, you know, I, I've heard some things about, some pretty positive things about Mark, but what do you remember? What was your story of working with Mark Henry, uh, the world's strongest man? Okay, know this. We never were hungry. <laughs> we were never hungry. About <laughs> every two inches, we stopped and got something to eat. But uh, <laughs> Mark was a super guy. We're another one, man. Uh, you know, we're talking about the world's strongest man. Uh, it's you can go on and on. Super, super nice, and everyone in the world knows that. Uh, man, it, it was great being around. Mark knew every spot there was to uh, hang out, to have fun. To, to eat, to uh, he was just, he's just a bundle of good times, man. Um, and, and and you can learn so much from Mark. He, he's a very very intelligent guy, very educated, been around the world, and uh, man, he can you know he, he's more. I, I, I enjoy working out with him so much. So he's always funny, man. Stay you know good good sense of humor. Oh, right on, right on, right on. I'm going to bring Michael McCurdy back into the conversation as we're heading down the uh, home stretch here uh, for Wrestling Memories. Mike, I know you're, uh, you're, you're waiting. You, you were so kind to let me ask a few questions. I'm going to throw the ball back to you, my friend. All right, well, <clears throat> Rodney, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, your indie career as after you left WWE, but I do have a question once more while we're still on the, uh, the WWE subject. Is who presented, who came up with and who presented you guys with was the white boy challenge. Cause I mean, a lot of us remember you and WWE, we remember the white boy challenge. Whose idea was it? And just kind of, what was your opinion of it when you first heard? Uh, it? 
Well, I mean, we, uh, I, I, I was fine with it. I mean, you know, uh, I didn't mind anything that they would give me. Uh, I would have been happy with but, uh, yeah, I think that was, from my understanding, remember as well, that was Vince's baby. I think that was Vince's idea that he came up with. <laughs> and, uh, they, uh, Pauline put, put that bill on me, you know. I think they were looking for a character to play that role in, uh, Pauline. From my understanding, New Jack was the first guy that they, uh, you know, were going to use, but that didn't work out for whatever reason, and I had no idea. And then, uh, I got the call for it, and, uh, one thing led to another. Now, I, I've, I've, this is the first I've ever heard of New Jack possibly being the, uh, you know, did you get a chance to work with him when you were in ECW? Yes, I did. Yes, I did, and I loved it. Uh, I traveled with New Jack a lot, man. New Jack took care of me, and uh, he and I were like brothers. Yeah, I, I enjoyed New Jack. Taught me a lot. All right, well, after you left, uh, after WWE went there, you went back into the Indies. Um, you and Jazz started... Dirty South Wrestling, I believe it was. You you kind of started your own indie group for a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah, where, yeah. Where did that come about, and how how did that uh go? Um, that came man. Actually, Jazz and I we went back home and we, uh, we moved back home to open the gym and kind of gave back to the neighborhood. You know, it was for uh, I, I guess you know. We, we, we kind of, it was kind of like a boys and girls club deal. We were kind of just giving, giving back to the neighborhood, tutoring kids and whatnot. And, uh, we had a gym there and, uh, we put a ring in there for our own personal use. And, uh, word got out that Jazz and I were back in town and a bunch of the Indian wrestlers around were looking for a place to, to work out. So we invited them to our, you know, gym and let, let them use our facility. So, you know, we got to helping them out. And one thing led to another. Uh, these guys, we ended up having like 40 independent workers that would come to the ring every night. And we ended up teaching them anyway. And they begged us to, you know, open up a a place for them to, to work. So uh, that's how that kind of came about. We took a bunch of the guys that no one wanted or weren't quite properly trained or weren't finished trained or, you know, whatever the reason was. And we started running shows with them, and uh, it turned out pretty successful. Uh, we ran about 20 shows, I think it was, uh, before we ended up having to move and relocate. But, uh, yeah, we sold out about 17 of the 20 shows. Um, and still to this day now, we run periodically, but we just, of course, relocated back to Texas. And now we're uh, going to open up a school. Uh, real shortly here, and uh, kind of team up with uh, a guy by the name of Ed Beckley, who runs the uh, Monster Trucks. Um, he ran the company, I'm sure you guys heard of it, uh, BBOW, Bad Boys of Wrestling, a few years ago. And yeah, uh, he, yeah he's back into it again, running shows, and uh, we're going to hook back up and uh, start real shortly, probably by next month. Now, you said you're back in the Texas area. Where about are you at? Uh, San Antonio. Okay, you're in San Antonio. I'm, I'm obviously Fort Worth. Um, <clears throat> now, coming back into this, you've gotten back in the indie scene. You said you were working with some of these guys and training and all that. So it's kind of come full circle for you. 
do you find yourself teaching some of these uh, new guys some of the lessons you learned from, you know, Rod Price, JYD? Do you find yourself passing on the lessons that you learned? All the time. I try not, you know, and I tell them that, all, you know, every time that I teach them something, I let them know this is not Rodney talking. This comes from such and such and such and such. And I always let them know that I can tell you something. I can tell you something that I learned from each, you know, one of the individuals. If we sat down and talked about Rod, I could give him, you know, pinpoint something I learned about wrestling in a match from Rod, whether it be Rod, Tracy Smothers, you know, uh, it does Chris Adams. The list goes on and on. I remember certain things that those guys took their time out, you know, and 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 shared that with me. And 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 yeah, there's probably thousands of guys that put their hands on me. And I can tell you, each and every one of them, if you name them, you know, he taught me a wrist lock. He taught me how to work the headlock better. He taught me this, that, the other. So, you know, I try to do the same thing to them, and uh, let them know that don't get, you know. Don't think this is my philosophy or my way of doing things. I do them because this is how it's done, <laughs> or it's supposed to be done. Now you're back in the uh, independent scene, you know, Texas, Louisiana, and all that. Independent scene here in Texas has grown like immensely over the last few years. You've been a big part of it. Um, you and I met, I believe, 2014 was when I first got a chance to meet you. And over the years, I think at one point in time, you held like six different titles. Uh, three of them being with the uh, company I was with, uh, the Triple Yeah, but, uh, at the time, yes, and uh, really, I, I think, uh, ooh, at the time I had like 15, I only traveled with six or seven because I couldn't carry more. That's a lot, that's a lot of titles, my friend. But, yes, yes. but you had a chance to work with some of the, you know, young up-and-coming guys and all that, as well as, you know, WWE talent that you worked with for, you know, you had some stellar matches with Charlie Haas. You know, I was, I got to sit ringside with, I got to sit there and watch you and Charlie talk a few times in the locker room. And like you said, I just kind of sat down and shut up and, you know, listen, because that's how you're going to learn. But, you know, who are some of the guys that you've had a chance to work with uh, lately on the independent scene that you think have that shot that are going to be, that might be the next guy you'll see in, you know, NXT, TNA, WWE. Yeah. I think you guys kind of already know this guy. I, I had a uh, fortunate to work with this young guy, Brian Jensen, that I really have, uh, that I'm high on. Of course, Raymond Rowe, because he's, uh, he's gone now. Uh, uh, there's a guy also uh, that goes by Odin. Uh, that's a Viking gimmick down in Louisiana as well. Yeah, uh, there's a. Uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a few guys out there. There's a lot of guys that have what it takes. It's just, are they willing to go that extra mile cause, uh, and, and, and do the little things? You know, uh, there's a bunch of guys that have nice bodies and, and can jump around and fly around and whatnot. But, um, you know, there's, there's, there's thousands of them out there. But how many of them, you know, that, that are willing to go that extra mile and do the little things? Like, like look at TV and, 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 and learn to, uh, I don't know, do research on, on your craft. You know what I mean? Go, go back and, and research things like holes and, and psychology and why to do 
certain things that you know that that you're good at. Don't just do something because you can do it. There's a setup to doing stuff, and, and why you do what you do when you do it. And uh, you know that's that's the only thing holding back a bunch of guys. And uh, we could go here and list names and names, but that you know, I, I really don't want to do do that because uh, it gives some of them a big head, and I hate to do that and and stop them. So. Um, Man, I, I see three or four guys that got their head screwed on real tight, and, and, and one of them, the top guy that I see out there, is Ryan Jones. You know. So, what have um, what have been some of the highlights for you now that you're back on the uh, you know the independent scene? What have been some of the highlights for you as far as uh, you know match wise goes? I'm, I'm sorry. Could you say that again? Um, now that you're back on the independency and you get a chance to work with, you know, you get a chance to work with who you want to work with and kind of write your, you know, work your own schedule. What have been some of the highlights for you as far as uh, recent um, career? Oh, man, just being able to wrestle, doing what I love to do and uh, and give back. You know, it doesn't matter who it is uh, that I'm in there with uh, or in the locker room with. And I've always been that guy, uh, even when I was in WWE. Or ECW, anytime the extra talent came around, I was always that guy to go sit in that locker room with those guys and just 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 dress out with them and talk to them and, and, and you know, listen and, and, and scout out talent and see which guy is worth spending my time and giving advice to. And which guy that, you know, I'd let them know that, hey, stay away from this guy because, you know, he's bad news for you. But I just enjoy doing that. I love being a part of the business, uh, and, and you know I'm blessed that I can still physically get in there and wrestle. But just the part of me traveling, going around and starting looking at other talent and hungry young guys wanting to make it, and and me being able to give them a little piece of advice that may help them get there, that that means a lot to me. And, and if I could close out the rest of my days doing that, I'd be more than happy. Well, man, for myself, it's been glad to get a chance to sit and talk with you again. You know, we kind of haven't had a chance talking. Well, in fact, I think the last time that uh, I did see you was when you decided to put me on my butt in that parking lot at the uh, in, in Crowley, Texas, back in 2016. So, but I'm going to hand it back over to Glenn if he's got any final questions and all before we wrap this show up today. Well, it, right, well it, thanks again, Mike. It's good hearing from you, man, and I know I'll be seeing you uh, sometime shortly, but. All right. Uh, it looks like the timekeeper's giving me the old stink eye, which means we went to Broadway once again on Wrestling Memories then and now. I'm going to have to uh, extend the invite once again for uh, Mr. Rodney Mack. Maybe next time uh, you know, can have Jazz with you, but you're, the door is always open for either you or Jazz to come on the program anytime. We can get into a few different t- topics, uh, some more career stuff uh, from, from your, uh, your your time in the ring. But it, just thank you, uh, for most of all, for taking time to chat and share some of those memories with us. It does mean a lot to me and my and the listeners. Well, thank you guys so much for having me, man. And uh, once again, uh, I want to thank all the fans out there for all the time that you, you know, and all the support that you guys have been backing us up for all these years. Uh, much love to you, and uh, keep on coming, man, because we're going to keep on giving it all to you. Only a fool wouldn't back the Mac, man. Only a fool would decide to uh, make that unwise decision. For Rodney Mac. Yeah, for Rodney Mack. What's that? I said, believe it, <laughs> For Rodney Mack, 
Oh, yeah, the one-man attack and the grizzled vet, Mr. Michael McCurdy. This is Glenn Brockett, and you have been listening to Wrestling Memories Then and Now. <laughs>